This past Friday was the Feast of St. Joseph, and this year, everyone is celebrating St. Joseph because Pope Francis declared this year, 2021, to be the year of St. Joseph. I can't think of a better patron for this year as we get used to this new normal than someone who is dedicated to families, to marriages, to workers, travelers, and to men. St. Joseph also prays for those who are in doubt and despair, that they may receive the light of Christ, and for those who are dying, that they may have a happy death. But I think we need to do more than just pray to St. Joseph or ask for his intercession. We need to imitate him. And this is hard, or at least for me, because we know so very little about him. We know he was a righteous man. We know he followed the law, both religious and civil. We know he was a man who had dreams, but that's really about it. Everything else we say about him, about being a good husband, a hard worker, a guide and protector of the Holy Family, a good dad, we just assume because he was chosen by God to be the husband of Mary and the foster father of Jesus. So I guess we can assume all those things. We can also assume that a lot of what Jesus learned about being a man, even about being a Jew, about being a responsible adult, about how to treat women, he learned from Joseph. We also can assume that Joseph was a man who tried to do God's will. For me, that's enough. St. Joseph, pray for us that we can be like you in following the Father's will. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello, and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. I am Billy Chan. So welcome, everybody. I hope that once again, you're listening to the show and that the, the show is making you happy and bringing lots of joy to your day. Um, yes. I'm, very, I'm very happy, Billy, because yesterday was the feast day of St. Joseph. Um, yes, And it's me. his year. <laughs> um, do you have a devotion to St. Joseph? Yes, uh, my Christian name is St. Joseph. Uh, you know, I think everyone knows that there's no St. Billy yet. <laughs> so, okay, and your real name is not Billy anyway, right? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yes, you know, every, like, you know, people from Hong Kong, they have to have a, an English name so people, like, you know, outsiders can can pronounce so, our name correctly, you know? So, what, so what my you... mom called me Billy, yeah. and my godfather called me Joseph. Okay, so when you became a Catholic, yes, Joseph is your your name. So I'm going to start yeah, calling yeah, you yeah. Joseph then. Joseph Chan. Sorry? I'm going to start calling you Joseph. <laughs> That's really great. I mean, I really like the name Joseph. And until the recent year, I I read a lot about Saint Joseph, and, and now I understand why my godfather called me Joseph, and it is because. I just talk too much when I was young. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and Joseph doesn't talk at all. Yeah. You cannot even hear him. In, no, in Joseph Bible, doesn't right? say anything in the Bible. Okay. That's it. Okay. I get it. Anyway, Joseph, um, today, uh, Mark Matthews is going to be back. He's our Hollywood undercover missionary. He's going to tell us how and why we should pray for Hollywood and for the tech industry. So I know mm. that you're a techie, Billy. And, I am. Uh, and you like movies. So if people like movies and they use technology, um, Mark Matthews is going to tell us why we should be praying for that industry. So that's in about 10 minutes. And then, Billy, uh, you have a question. Yes. Easter, you know, Lent 
and that related to the Eucharist again. So the question will be about the Eucharist. About the Eucharist. Okay, so a question about the Eucharist in Church for Dummies. That's in about 15 minutes. And then, Billy, I don't know how much you know about the Spanish Civil War. I think most people... Um, I know about civil war in China, but yeah, no. And, and yeah, I know, I guess every country has had uh, their share of civil wars. Um, a lot of people in North America are not very familiar with the war, uh, a civil mm -hmm. war in Spain that was between 1936 and 1939. So not that long ago, it was a horrible civil war in Spain that killed some 4,000 priests, 2000 monks and almost wow. 300 nuns. So there was a there was a horrible horrible religious persecution. So that's right before the Second World War, is it? Right before the Second World War, yeah. Between the two wars, there was a, a, wow. a civil war. Yeah, around the time of fascism, you know, Hitler was rising in in Germany and Mussolini in Italy. So there was also a, a fascist government uh, that was uh, taking over in Spain, and that led to this revolution. Um, and and there was a, a revolt against the church. It was a, there was a religious persecution. Like I said, they 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 took all the church property um, and killed a lot a lot of uh, priests, bishops, religious. Uh, um, 4,000. I think it was close to 6,000 actually. Wow. Um, um, but 51 of those martyrs uh, were from a particular community, the Claritians. Um, and, and there's a film that tells their story. Uh, these, how these 51, most of them were seminarians and they were rounded up. And so the film tells because they, they wrote be, between the time they were arrested and the time that they were martyred they were able to write letters and write journals and stuff. And in fact, three of them that were, who were not from Spain were allowed uh -huh. to live. They were Argentinian. So there's a story exists. So this film is called Forbidden God. And, uh, and it tells the story of the last couple of weeks before their, uh, their assassination. And the film was released in Spain, in Spanish, I think in 2012, but now there's an English version. And uh -huh. so we're going to be speaking with the producer of the film, Victor Papp, uh, who's going to tell us all about it. That's going to be in our second half hour. Um, great. I think it's, it's good to know that there's still some really good uh, films that are being made that tell these important stories. Um, maybe there's some good films that are tell the story about persecution in China. Cause I know there's, there was religious persecution in China as well. Right. I hope there will be films like that. Yeah. Well, those are good stories. Like we think of stories from saints and stuff, but this, these are very current stories and important stories that we need to tell. Anyway, so that's in our second half hour. Producer Victor Papp of the film Forbidden God. Uh, hope that people can uh, stay and, and listen to that conversation. And then I don't know, Billy, if you remember last year, we spoke to an artist. Her name was Kay Clarity. She was working on a four volume album. Uh, and she told us about that last time we spoke with her. Uh -huh. but the first volume is ready to be released. She's dedicating it to St. Joseph, although I think it's St. Joseph on May 1st that it's being released. Um, so at the end of the show, we're going to be speaking with Kay Clarity, and she's going to tell us about uh, this first volume of the chapters pro uh, project that she's releasing soon. So that'll be at the end of the program. Again, if people can't join us, or, or will not be around to listen to the show, then just remember that you can go to our website, slmedia.org, and you can listen to the show. You can also podcast the program anywhere you get your podcasts. So there's no excuse for not listening to the show. <laughs> so everywhere. So, and also, you know, write to us, right? 
Yes, Billy likes mail. You can find him on Twitter at Bijo Chan. You can email us. You can go to our website, slmedia.org, find out how to contact us or find us on social media. Now, the first chapter of uh, Kate Clarity's album, Kasha and Murr, um, is about Gregorian chant. So because it's Lent, we're going to play a song from that Gregorian chant. And this is a song oh. that's very good for Lent. It's called Tantum Ergo. We would end the Holy Thursday liturgy by singing the Tantum Ergo. So here's Kasha and Murr with Tantum Ergo from Catholic Chapters, Volume 1, Gregorian Chant. Tantum Ergo Sacramento That was Kasha and Murr with Tantum Ergo from Catholic Chapters, Volume 1, Gregorian Chant. And we're going to be speaking with Kay Clarity of Kasha and Murr in about 40 minutes. So I hope that you will still be around for that. If not, just head over to slmedia.org and you can listen to our podcast right there. Now it's time for What's Good in Hollywood with our Hollywood undercover missionary, Mark Matthews. Mark, hello, hello, welcome Pedro. back. I'm so excited to hear you're interviewing Kay Clarity. Uh, she's actually a friend you, of mine. And she's yes, doing fantastic work. She's actually a friend of mine uh, down here in Hollywood. And we're actually both originally from Saskatchewan. That's right. You two are two Saskatchewanians <laughs> living in California. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's good. She's doing a, a well. I'm sure you know a really interesting project, and uh, it's the second time she's on the show. Um, so. Speaking Fantastic. of projects, speaking of projects that we should pray for, I guess her her work. But you mm, want us to pray for for, yes. for for not so much the the Christian projects. I, I want yes, I want yeah, exactly. I want people to pray for the the evil Hollywood world in general. Um, and it, it, this kind of comes from something I hear from a lot of people when I travel. I always hear people say, "Oh, those people in Hollywood, they're evil," yeah. you know, or more commonly today, or anti-Catholic, oh, yeah. Yeah, or anti-Catholic. Yeah, or those nut job, nut job liberals at Insta Snap Talk. You know, they're yes. ruining the world. Yes. But the, I always ask people, I'm like, well, have you ever prayed for the people in Hollywood mm. or tech? And silence. 
And I thought, this is a really interesting question. Why don't we normally pray for these people and these corporations? And, and uh, given that it's Lent, you know, and our listeners have plenty of spare <laughs> prayers and fasting yes. to offer up, I think this yes. is the perfect thing to talk about. Yes. So I, I, think, I think there's kind of three main reasons that people don't normally think to pray for these kinds of people. Uh, the first one is depersonalization. We, we don't like to think of these organizations as real people. We just like to think of them as Satan incarnate. Right. And so, you know, when you see a celebrity going crazy or being reported on TMZ, is your first thought, like, I need to fast and pray for that person? Mm, no. Probably not. Uh, we don't even like to acknowledge that they're human. We just sort of think they're some kind of like entertainment machine. Um, but that's ultimately depersonalization, and, and that's not at all Catholic. Or when you see a sinful film, do you think, I need to pray for that exec that greenlit this film? Right. And, you know, it, it, we, we have to remember that there's real people, real with you know, they have families, they have children, and they all, they're all trying to make the world a better place, and they genuinely believe that they're doing so. Mm-hmm. And so we need to understand them. We need to see how they're human. We need to understand how they're hurting. And so, I mean, I can tell you, who live a lot closer to these people, it's like, yeah, they're real people, you know, and they have issues and they're hurting and they need our prayers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good so uh, the, uh, another reason is, uh, is our own blindness. Um, we don't like to acknowledge our own sin. It's always easier to point the finger over there at those people who are causing all the sin and the corruption in the world. So remember what I just said, you know, when you see a sinful film? I say, what were you doing watching that sinful film in the first place? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah. Why, why does Hollywood make sinful films? Because we watch sinful films. Yeah. We, don't, we don't even need to pay for these films. It's all about advertising. So we're voting with our eyes. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've heard this. I've seen this firsthand. Hollywood execs are very plugged into demographics and what people are watching. You know, they look at all the stats. They know who the people are. They know what they're watching. They see the trends. So they are simply reflecting the culture and responding to what we are watching. Yes. So, and and so we're not. I, I, wa- I, I'm sorry. I was interrupt, but I would say we're not. I don't think we're watching them because they're sinful. We're watching them because those are usually the stories that are more dramatic. Um, yeah. Or, or more, or you know, more interesting. Although we know yeah. that there are lots of really good, positive, interesting stories as well, or dramatic stories. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. You know, I guess yeah. I can't give Hollywood an entirely clean slate here. It's like yeah, there's you know some some of those films will be really good, but they'll mix in some bad elements. You know that we exactly. might not want. But but I would still say, you know, like there might only be like ten executives responding to the choices, but there's ten million of of you or me, you know, voting with their eyes. So mm-hmm. I would kind of you know say we're probably a million times more responsible sometimes for these choices and what gets shown. And right. and I would even say the same thing with tech too. Talked in the past about how these suggestion algorithms are simply responding to what the rest of the populace and population is is saying and watching. So even there, a lot of times, like the tech companies, what what you're seeing in social media is simply a reflection of, of people around you and what they're watching. Right, exactly. So if people are don't want to watch it, they shouldn't be, you know, going down exactly, that social yeah. media rabbit if, hole. Yeah. If it's not good for you, just don't watch it. Yeah. And 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 the last reason I think is I think sometimes people think like, oh, it's hopeless. Oh, it's too hard. They will never be converted. So why bother mm. even praying for them? And and that's a classic 
tactic of the devil to like just think, oh, the battle's already lost. You know, don't even bother fighting. And so I would say, well, hey, no, it's not at all. And especially knowing what I just shared with you, that we have immense uh, power and control over what does get produced. We can influence those around us who are viewing these things and watching on social media. And, you know, to give you an example, like when the executives saw that the Passion of the Christ, you know, raked in $450 million, like heads perked up, but, mm -hmm. you know, they launched, you know, specific faith divisions. They had Fox Faith. Uh, just to sell, you know, to Christians and produce these kinds of film. Right. So, so there's, and, and I mean, my whole segment here, every time, every month here, I'm telling you about stories of hope and things that have changed mm -hmm. and positive opportunities. So, so it's not at all a battle that's been lost. So, please pray, 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 and offer up your prayers and fasting for all of us poor souls in Hollywood and in the tech industry. We need them. So. Yeah, good. That's always a good message. And I know in the past you've spoken about there's there's actually a ministry that's dedicated to to praying yes, for Hollywood. Hollywood Prayer Network. Yeah, and I, I love Network. Yeah, and people yeah, can, yeah, can look go it up. check them out, look them up. I know that in Canada they have at least in Toronto they do have a a, a little chapter of of oh, uh, the, the the prayer network here. Yeah, as well. So that's all very good and uh something uh important because uh culture influences people. So if we want to influence the culture without producing culture, maybe we can influence by praying for the people who are uh, those influencers. Yeah. Pr prayers and, and fasting culture. are incredibly impactful. All right. Very good. And I know a lot of us are watching uh, <laughs> movies and stuff nowadays, so we should uh, keep them in our prayers. Anyway, and uh, keep Mark Matthews in your prayers as well. Um, it's good to, uh, good to talk to you, Mark. And, uh, I guess we'll, you'll be back in a few weeks for Easter. So, uh, with a good Easter. Correct. Yeah. Easter. I will be back in California. So I've been on my, my COVID sojourn away. All right. And, and so you'll speak to us from California for our Easter episode, um, with a good Easter lesson from, uh, Hollywood Correct. for, for our listeners. All right. Thank you very much. Mark Matthews, uh, from Saskatoon <laughs> praying for Hollywood. <laughs> Uh, Mark Matthews is our Hollywood undercover missionary. You can follow him at HU Missionary. Hey, everybody, it's Hannah Schaefer, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. You want to get in touch with us? You can email me, Pedro at slmedia.org, or you can find me, Deacon Pedro, on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Just look for Deacon Pedro. Now it's time for. Church for Dummies with Billy Chan, who's back here with another question about the Eucharist. Yes, um, this is the center of our belief, right? Yes. Uh, so I, everyone is looking into uh, asking different questions. Now, this is one of the questions that I always uh, heard about, mm -hmm. and maybe it's also my own my own question too. Uh, so uh, we do mass, and we have. Uh, Eucharist in every Mass, right? Yes. Why? Why do we celebrate the Eucharist in every Mass? And and it sounds like there is a limitation on the number of Eucharist you can receive in each 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 day. Uh, yes. Um, yeah. So so who determines the quantity of Eucharist and 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 what is that? Okay, so yeah, that's a, a, a couple questions. So the first question is, why is the Eucharist part of Mass? Because that is the Mass. The Mass has to include the Eucharist. Without the Eucharist, Mass is not Mass. Oh, okay. Right? So, so if you look at, in, in, the, in the Catechism, if you look at the whole chapter that talks about the sacrament of, of the Eucharist and the sacraments, 
it'll it'll say like it's called the Eucharist, it's called the Mass, it's called the Holy Sacrifice. Like all those things are the same thing, the liturgy of the Mass, which is why the church would say that you should not receive communion unless it's in the context of mass. So you're, you're mm-hmm. meant, so are, so remember how we've talked about how the, the Sunday obligation is to go to mass. Yes. The Sunday obligation is not to receive communion. It's to go to mass. But if you go to mass and you participate fully in the mass, then that would include communion. You don't have to receive oh. communion, but that includes communion. So the Eucharist refers to not just the act of receiving communion, but it can refer to the celebration of the whole mass. Right. So basically, if you're late to mass, that means you did not participate the whole mass. It's true. <laughs> so no, you're right. And in fact, there was there there was a time when people would get very technical. It's like at what at what point it's too late to be able to receive communion. Um, and so I would say, you know, like if you arrive at the offertory, you've missed all the readings. Like the whole point is that we 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 ask for forgiveness, we listen to the readings, we listen to the homily, we pray for our needs, and all of those things prepare us so that we can receive the Eucharist. If you just show up and receive the Eucharist, it's it's really not uh, not helping. So in fact, the the you asked about about how many times. So the Code of Canon Law number nine nine seventeen says that you sh- you. It used to be, and I don't know if this was a change, but it used to be that you could only receive it once. But if you read the canon, it kind of makes it sound like you can receive it twice. Like you can receive it more than sort of two times, but only if it you're at mass. Yes. Okay. Um, so I, I, you know, this one, I can answer you, uh, Deacon Pedro, is because okay. of uh, somebody has a wedding. And Yes, exactly. Uh, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah that's so, the reason. So you have a... Two mass in the same day, yes. Or, for example, if you go to if you go to daily mass and you mm-hmm. go to mass on Saturday morning, which is the oh, mass yeah. of the Saturday, but then you want to go to Sunday mass on Saturday night, you could go to two. So that's two masses in one day. They're different masses because one's for Saturday, one's for Sunday. So you are allowed to receive communion twice on that day. Or like you said, if you went to a wedding Saturday morning and then you went to mass uh, Saturday night, or if sometimes you might have a funeral in the morning and a wedding in the afternoon. I don't know how often that happens, but that's okay, why so, it's allowed. So why do we have mass every day then? Well, we have ma- We not only have mass every day, there's mass every hour of the day. Oh. <laughs> Somewhere around the world, there's somebody celebrating mass at all the time. Um, and I think that that's beautiful. You you started off by saying that the Eucharist is the source and summit. So that is the source and summit, you know, like that Jesus said, do this in memory of me. So that's what we're doing. And we do it uh, all the time. I like it, you know, because of, yeah, they use mass every day, every hour, maybe you can say every minute, yes. uh, but uh, you cannot really receive Eucharist that much because this is not the only thing that you need for the mass, right? It's the whole thing. Exactly. And I, and again, I don't want people to think that I'm saying that they shouldn't receive the Eucharist, but the whole point is not to receive the Eucharist. The whole point is to participate in the mass and receive the Eucharist. Of course, that's important. But if, you know, like if someone shows up because they just want to receive the Eucharist and then they leave, that defeats the purpose. The church allows for people who are sick, for example, or people in the hospital who cannot participate in mass for them to to have a little liturgy. We talked about it uh, last time where you can have, but it's not just show up and give the person communion and then leave. Like you try to make it or, or like, like what we were talking last time that you, you watch mass on TV. So you try to participate as much as possible in the liturgy. And then someone brings you communion and that, that is the best way to do it. Now, of course, if you're, 
you know, there's a danger of death and, and you, you know, you went to mass in the morning and then you get hit by a car and then you're in the Mm. hospital and they bring you the last rites. They could give you communion at that time as well. In fact, Mm -hmm. that could happen. That can be the third time you receive communion. Um, And that is allowed because it's, it's uh, there's a danger of death there. Um, But, but normally there's, I would say that there's no need to receive communion more than once in a day. Because why? Like, what are we trying to do? You know, like fill ourselves with... Maybe we are too hungry. <laughs> too hungry, too scrupulous, I think, sometimes. You know, like, you know, you, all, you only need to receive communion. I, as a, as a deacon, I sometimes get, uh, feel bad because, like, if I participate in four liturgies, sometimes, uh-huh. I probably shouldn't, but sometimes you have to, and I'm yeah. allowed to consume four times. Um um, sometimes when we do like at World Youth Day or special events and you end up with a saboria and it's full of leftover hosts and you can't repose them, we have to consume them. So I've, I've sometimes had to consume like 10, 20, 30 hosts. And, and that's a little weird. Um, I know why we do it, but there's no need to do it. So there's only there's no reason to receive the Eucharist more than once. Thank you. Deacon Pedro, it's a really full answer. You All gave, right, very gave. good. So people want to know it's Canon 917, Code of Canon Law. Anyway, thank you, Billy. Good questions. Billy Chan, our webmaster here at slmedia.org. You can follow him at Chan. Coming up in our second half hour, we learn about the film Forbidden God, about 52 martyrs of the Spanish Civil War, and we reconnect with Kay Clarity of Kasha and Murr. So stick around. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour, part two. I'm Deacon Pedro. What would you do if they came for you? That's a question most of us will never have to answer. In the summer of 1936, at the beginning of the brutal Spanish Civil War, 51 members of a Claritian community were martyred. These were only but a few of the more than 6,000 bishops, priests, and religious that were killed during that time of religious persecution. The film, Forbidden God, tells the story of their last weeks. It is a story of temptation, betrayal, courage, fear, perseverance, and faith. And to learn more, I'm now joined by the film's producer, Victor Papp. Victor, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much for having me, Deacon Pedro. It's wonderful to be discussing uh, the film Forbidden God and these uh, Claritian martyrs, this uh, incredible story. And I think the only adjective or, or topic you might have uh, just slightly missed, but I think is the umbrella is love. It's really a story oh, of yeah. love. I, yeah, you know what? And I actually was even thinking about you know, a story because there's a that romance too. But I thought, you know, if you say love, then people think it's like a romance, and it's really not about that. Although there is that element, and that's uh, I think for me one of the more compelling parts of the story. But uh, but maybe we're getting we're getting ahead here. And and I was sort of always excited to have people like you on the show. But then I, you know, reading that introduction, it's I don't want people to think that it's a sad movie, although it's it's not a happy story. I mean, they are martyred. Um, but can we maybe back up? Can you set it up? I mean, I sort of gave a little summary of the story, but can you sure. set, set the story up for us a little bit? What what led to the Spanish Civil War? Like, why was there so much hatred for the church? 
Sure. I think that's a, that's such a broad, um, yeah, I know, you know, it's such a, that's such a big thing to unpack, but, uh, let's try. And I think the story is really, it's, it's a drama at the end of the day, it's a drama. It's the human drama. And it's, you know, it shows how our faith, the Catholic faith is really at the center of all these, you know, major components of civilization, whether Mm. it's, um, you know, war, uh, government, politics, uh, love, romance, uh, you know, really our faith is is something that I think has really brought out, um, you know, the very best of humanity, um, you know, schools and things like that. And so I think if we want to go back and we look at what was happening uh, in the early 20s and 30s uh, in Spain, uh, you know, we have um, this incredible... Um, Kind of rising up even more so of the Catholic Church and the wonderful things that they had introduced. So, for example, they had really um, started to, to polish the education system mm-hmm. uh, in these small villages where where it didn't exist before. Right. Uh, you know, things like hospitals. Uh, you know, these were relatively they're very commonplace for us today. Yeah. But these were really new ideas that were really taking form and um, you know becoming better and better with um, the Catholic Church. Uh, really at the helm. And so Forbidden God really takes us to uh, just before this kind of uh, terrible fall uh, in Spain, where we have a number of seminarians who uh, are part of the Claritian uh, ministries, which are, are huge in, in North America, yes. uh, in Canada, the U.S., and, and all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible, incredible works even today. And these seminarians find themselves um, really much as we find ourselves today looking at uh, religious liberty kind of starting to to fall by the wayside and and really giving way to uh, these these vague ideas of tolerance and equality things that all sound really great uh, until they're put into practice very nefariously yeah so, it's and you know and it's and it's tough because they're given they're given a choice, you know, come join us or, you know, the one character that, 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 that sort of romantic uh, interest there that he's got a choice. He could go with her and be married and leave, leave the, 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 the Claritians. And I, I guess I'm not going to give out the, give away the ending, but you know. Um, right. It's, well, it's incredible because the tagline for the film uh, is, is kind of a little playful, uh, you know, choosing the priesthood meant sacrifice, but that was the easy part. Right. Yeah. And so we kind of think of people being called to the religious, religious life. It's very difficult. Um, you know, I just have a tremendous amount of, um, appreciation and admiration for the sisters, uh, you know, the various priests, uh, the deacons such as yourself. And, you know, there's a tremendous sacrifice and to think that, the call to religious and accepting that call, well, in 1936 uh, in Spain, that's actually the easy part of their existence. It's just profound to consider. Yeah. Uh, and I think we take for granted. And that's why the story, I think, is so important today. Right. Now, the film was originally made in Spanish, correct? Um, it, it, sorry, I was just going to ask, is it based on, were these uh, seminarians, uh, most of them were seminarians, right? Were they writing letters or were there any written transcripts that the film is based on? Oh, yes. So this is all factually based. The film was originally released in Spain, in Europe, um, several years back. It's beautifully shot. It's a period Mm -hmm. piece. So it does take place in 1936 Spain. And, um, you know, it was done in its original 
language of, of Spanish, of course. And so, you know, upon seeing the film a few years ago, uh, a number of us in the U.S. thought to ourselves, this is such a remarkable story. And no one knows this in North America. Yeah. Very few people, I should say. And, uh, you know, we're familiar with, you know, kind of these amazing stories like Lords. Uh, and of course, we're hearing about new stories that unfold all the time with, um, you know, uh, even, you know, in Medjugorje, certainly those aren't approved apparitions, but there are all kinds of stories that we hear over and over again. But the church is so rich with some of these wonderful stories. You know, recently we celebrated, uh, you know, St. Patrick's Day, uh, yeah. St. Joseph's Feast Day, uh, you know, and people know those stories. But this is about the Claritian martyrs and uh, their fight for religious liberty uh, and what they had to go through, um, you know, is something that's it's profound and no one knows the story. And so I there's, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that there are a couple of Argentinians who are portrayed in the film and they are actually the ones who, you know, quote unquote, escape, I should say. And right, because they, they were not the Spanish. Bring that story back um to form the factual basis for this okay stuff. yeah that's right because they were not spaniards so they were they were not martyred because they were not spanish they were allowed to leave um so the film is it dubbed in english i guess yeah, yeah. so the film is dubbed in english uh, you know very it's, well done thank you so it's it's a growing market i think a lot of the content that is now available is starting to become very um international and so uh, you, you know, I don't want to necessarily plug films that are, are, are counter to Catholic teaching, although this is more, you know, there's a, there's one called Money Heist in particular, which is available on Netflix. Um, you know, it's about a uh, bank robbery and things like that. And there's nothing that's heretical, but it's certainly not something that you'd want to show to yes. uh, the broader yes. audiences. But not in your parish, not at the parish, uh, <laughs> at the parish <laughs> of <correct>. Nepal. <laughs> but, but that said, that is a perfect example of a series that was dubbed, you know, shot in one language, dubbed in brought to um, different audiences and, yeah. and just the, kind of the tip of the iceberg. Um, so we were able to do the same thing. We have a, a great team who came together uh, in partnership. And of course, it's a very um, expensive endeavor. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the result is, I think you saw, um, you, you know, tell. really works well. Thank yeah, you. You, can't, you can't tell um you were, you made me think that that uh you know like we might be familiar with all these catholic stories that you think is like from so long ago but this story even though it was 1936 it's still very contemporary so w w why do you think this story is relevant for people today north americans today Sure. Well, we need only look at last year where there were, I mean, at least in the, the United States, uh, I'm sure that this happened in parts of Canada as well, but uh, the toppling of statues, this idea mm -hmm. that Christopher Columbus, for example, you know, is a, a symbol of, of hatred and bigotry. Um, and, you know, yeah. you have this incredible organization, the Knights of Columbus, uh, you know, who looked at Christopher Columbus as a great leader, a uh, profound man of faith. And, you know, in the film, you know, you look at, at Forbidden God and you see the same people even back then. And this is filmed before last year. Uh, mm. They're toppling statues. They're burning statues. Uh, and so it's remarkable because you look at the dynamics of the politics and faith and everything that was happening in 1936. It's being replicated in our exact current moment. Uh, between religious liberty, between what's coming up with, um, you know, the uh, these vague ideas that replace the idea of Christianity. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with equality. Uh, we should certainly strive for it. But it, it has kind of taken on its own entity uh, and almost seeks to replace the idea of, you know, worshiping mm. 
uh, and faith and things like that. So I think it's very relevant um, just on, on kind of those points alone. Yeah, exactly. And not to, I sometimes feel like I don't want to like make people scared that there's, you know, religious persecution, although I guess there's always going to be people that are going to be attacking religion. And maybe that's part of part of what it means to be a Christian that we're going to be attacked. Um, but it can sort of happen without you. Like these people in Spain did not expect this to happen in France. They didn't expect it to happen. And, you know, the French revolution was the same thing. So I think it's uh, and it, it's important for us to know the history and to, to learn from it and to be inspired by, by the, by the, 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 the cho- exactly the, the, the witness of these, of these young men, they were, they were young, they were students, you know, university students. They were very young and it's incredible because at first, uh, and this is factually, um, you know, accurate and it would be surprising is, um, you know, as part of their kind of um, agreement with the Spanish government at the time, they agreed to participate in military exercises. Yes, that's and right. So the, the idea was Ridiculous. that the Spanish Republic wanted to have well-trained, um, you know, priests, you know, as, as almost like an auxiliary militia. Mm. And, you know, at the time it seemed perfectly uh, reasonable. Um, you know, it might've been even in today akin to a lot of the chaplains in the military. They, you know, they undergo the, uh, in the U.S. it's the ROTC and things like that. Yeah. So they go through that basic training and there's nothing really, there's nothing wrong with that, of course. And, yeah. um, you know, but you can see how quickly they start going down this path that they didn't anticipate. Yeah. Yeah. So. Fascinating. Anyway, I, I really hope that this conversation uh, is uh, uh, enticing people, encouraging them to, to go find the film um, Forbidden God. I, I'm sure that uh, as it gets released, I know you're, you're releasing it slowly, various platforms, um, that people will, will be able to find it and, uh, and uh, um, be able to watch it because it's uh, absolutely a, a, a very well done film and it's a beautiful yeah. story. It looks remarkable. We originally had a couple of theatrical screenings. We may continue to go down that path. Um, I think right now people are excited that they can find it on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks beautiful. I mean, it's an, it's a gorgeously shot, um, you know, very well executed film. Uh, and hopefully we'll, we'll bring it to broader audiences. I, I don't want to re- make any big reveals, uh, but uh, hopefully it'll be coming to Canadian audiences quite soon. Excellent. Yeah. So if people look it up, Forbidden God, they'll, they'll find it. Victor, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on and, and telling us about this film. Um, and I, I hope that more good things are coming from your team because th- this one's really good. So thank you for sharing it with us today. Thank you, Deacon Pedro. Victor Papp is the producer of Apparition Hill. His latest film, Forbidden God, is now streaming on Amazon Prime, and uh, you'll find it also on other platforms. Just uh, look, look it up, Forbidden God. If you missed any part of this conversation or to listen to the rest of the show, just go to our website, slmedia.org. And uh, here now is our featured artist of the week, Kasha and Murr, with He Came to His Own from Catholic Chapters, Volume 3, The Devotional Chapter.
That was Kasha and Murr with He Came to His Own from Catholic Chapters, Volume 3, the devotional chapter. Kasha and Murr is a Catholic music project which seeks to reach souls through beauty with Christ and his church. We first heard about Kasha and Murr from singer-songwriter Kay Clarity, who was on our program last year. With this project, under the Kasha and Murr banner titled Catholic Chapters, Kay hopes to create a refuge amidst the chaos of our modern age. The project is to be in four volumes, starting with Gregorian chant, followed by other hymns and traditional and contemplative pieces that are part of our tradition, and ending with the rosary. It is an ambitious project, but volume one is now ready for release. And so to tell us more, I'm now uh, joined by Kay Clarity. Kay, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. It's good to see you. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So I know we spoke about this last time you were on the show. Um, so people can go find that interview. I'm not going to sort of rehash stuff, but so the project is in four chapters. Right. Um, Gregorian hymns, devotionals, and the road. Like why, why did you decide on those? How did you come up with that? Like that? Cause there's a progression there, right? Kind of. Yeah. I, I mean, part of it is just that there are so many different things I want to do and I <laughs> feel the capacity I want to, to do, do it. everything. I know, you know, it, it, that's why it is really an amb- ambitious project. But I think part of it too is that often we 
we end up at odds with each other because of different tastes mm -hmm. and concerns about how music ought to be done here and there. And I actually, in my experience, because it's been quite a broad experience musically in the church, is that they actually complement each other, that all of the different facets mm -hmm. of Catholic music can and should um, link to each other in kind of an organic way. So I like having these different chapters because it allows each of those different pieces to find their proper place, but not in a way that's unrelated to each other. Yeah. Okay. And let me ask you about that. Cause I do think sure. that's sort of interesting, but cause you've said, I think you've said this um, at some point I read it somewhere, I think, or you told me that Gregorian chant informs how you write music. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm interested to know about that or, or how that happens, but is that what you mean? That it's like, so Gregorian chant informs you and in how you're writing, but the music you're writing is contemporary music, obviously. So mm -hmm. how does that work? Is that what you mean? That like those, all those, kind of interconnected pieces? Yeah, so I think I would explain it in maybe two distinct ways. One is that any musician would say that what you're taking in is going mm. to start affecting the sound of whatever else you're doing. So even if I do a pop song or something, which I do on the side, you know, mm -hmm. it bleed, I find it bleeds in and it informs even the sounds or the way I use my voice. But I think on a deeper plane, it's just like we talk about with the Eucharist as being the source and the summit that we go to him first and we receive and we're filled up. And then it's kind of like out of the heart, the mouth speaks for the artist. So you fill okay. up on these beautiful traditional sounds of the church, these ancient mysterious sounds, and it changes you as a person and then therefore also as an artist. And so that flows out into all of my work, especially the other Catholic work. Now, but do you see that? Cause we were talking about that progression. Do you see that, that, sort of without Gregorian chant, you wouldn't be able to have the hymns and devotionals or even the rosary because they each kind of inform the other? I don't know that, it, that's a very interesting question and not, not one I've thought about strictly like that, but I, I've definitely noticed that the more I have let myself be imbued by those ancient sounds of the church, the more that sense of mystery and peace finds its way organically into my work. So I was first and foremost just a singer-songwriter, um, mm -hmm. and I do that in a mainstream way. Um, but I also grew up in, in choirs. We did a lot of sacred music. And yeah. so I think a lot of people will maybe throw out some of those older sounds as aged and not modern and not interesting or something. But actually, we live in a huge, broad conversation just generally as human beings, and then especially in the tradition of the church, where as we are exposed to these beautiful foundational realities, they affect everything we do. Mm -hmm. so, I, so I don't know if, that, if that's a good way to explain it, but I've just noticed that it, it has affected um, the way I approach my writing. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it makes sense. Um, why? This might seem like a silly question because I think I, I know how I would answer it, but why is it important to offer people a place of refuge, as you yeah. say, <laughs> that you, you want with this project? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing everybody can agree with, agree on right now is that things feel pretty chaotic. I mean, it's mm -hmm. been a really hard year for everybody. And there's just a lot swirling. And that's both societally, but also just it seems like a lot of people are just going through some really hard things. Mm -hmm. And 
I think we've lost maybe in the modern age, a concept of the church's sanctuary. You know, that used to be the churches were never locked, right? You would always have a place to go in the middle of the night, or if you were fleeing. I mean, I, I remember yeah. reading in a novel that somebody who was, had committed manslaughter rushed into the church and then ends up a monk, you know, <laughs> I think it was the betrothed because it was a sanctuary. There was this understanding that within the church, everything mm -hmm. had to stop. Time had to stop. Anger had to stop. The, corruption of the age had to stop even a just police force had to stop there was this concept of just sacredness okay and yeah. so in our modern times we've lost maybe access to the building in that explicit way but i think that hunger that god put in us is always there that we need a place where we know we can go and stop time and return to that deepest place of ourselves and through yeah. that we find peace no that's fascinating and you and your sense is that the best type of music to help us find that sanctuary? I, I like that word. Mm -hmm. Is those traditional, th those traditional Gregorian? I mean, I, I'm just, because yeah, yeah. I think that some people might think like, oh, Gregorian chant, like whatever. Yeah, like, I have nothing. Yeah. But, but there is, I think that there is something about that style of music. I think at least as a component, I, I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to do a few different things, because I think different things resonate for different people at different times in mm -hmm. different ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think we only benefit by having those sounds in our consciousness. Like if you think of the difference, like if you're out gardening or walking around or working, what's in your head might be a really obnoxious pop song that's degrading, or it might be a bit of chant. And can you imagine the difference that makes to how your day feels, right? Yeah. So it's informing, someone called it filling up the pockets of our, our lives with beauty, basically. Um, so I, I think that it's not always the best thing, but one of the reasons I mm -hmm. wanted to do this project was that I know that my voice is something of a bridge. And I also want to work with other artists. I know we talked about that last time, but mm -hmm. for now, I'm looking for voices that sort of help to bridge the gap a little, that there's something, some people do find the, the monk sound to just be a little too alienating. And I, I would love for people to grow into those sounds. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, I think having something that's a little uh, lighter somehow, because it's just the one voice, lets people access those sounds in a new way, but in, in a way that doesn't betray the tradition. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I wonder if people started, I don't know if I'm suggesting the wrong thing, but if people started backwards, like if they, if they, because we're playing some of the songs from the third volume that's not going to be released yet. Right. But if they, if they enter through the devotional album right. and then may work their way back to Gregorian, yes. maybe that's a way to, to kind of enter in into that beauty. Um, so the first volume is being released shortly. It, May is what you're thinking, right? Yeah. Um, can people still contribute then to support the project? Yes. So uh, we did the crowdfund in August and got halfway there, which means I've been able to do a pretty good, great job so mm -hmm. far. And the project will get done regardless. But if people want to jump in there, they do get early access to the files and some extra demos and information and things if they if they are contributors. And um, and then it also helps us do an even better job 
in terms of quality on those last two chapters, because that's the thing that suffers because, you know, there are fees and things associated with yeah, even a labor of love. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. No, but that's good. Yeah. That's good. So people yeah. have heard a little bit of the music and they might yeah. uh, be intrigued. They can find out more um, and I'll, we'll, we'll let them know. Well, the website's easycatholicsong.com yeah. um, and, and they can support the project. I wanted to just in like the 30 seconds that we have left, um, you're also, I know that hoping to release some, uh, 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 some music under your name, K Clarity. Yeah. Um, any idea of when that's going to be? Because I'm excited about that. I am hoping, hoping, hoping for November. But oh, okay, a lot good. of things have to come together. So we'll see. But that's the goal right now. And in the meantime, I'm, I'm releasing fairly regularly to members on my website, um, smaller content, and also on YouTube. Okay, good. And is it your hope that the four volumes, the the, the Catholic chapters, uh, Kasha and Mur, is that going to be all done this year? Or do you still anticipate that you might be releasing them some next year? For Kasha and Mur, uh, the plan is for all four to fit into 2021. Okay. That was always the vision. We'll see how it goes, but okay, I, I good. anticipate that working. Yeah. Okay, good. So that's good. That's something something good to look forward to this year. Yeah. All right. Okay, Kay, I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much. Um, thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's uh, so good to have spoken with you when the project was just starting and now to see how it's coming together. And I'm looking forward to hearing um, when, it, when it's all done. Um, and I'm also looking forward to hearing some of your other music. Uh, always good. Always good to see you and uh, happy to have you back on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Kay Clarity. She's the artist behind Kasha and Murr. Her latest project is Catholic Chapters. Volume one will be ready for release on May 1st. You can find out more at catholicsong.com. If you missed any part of our conversation or if you want to listen to it again, just head to our website, slmedia.org. Here now is Kay Clarity with uh, one of her singles, Magdalene. Magdalena was a lonely girl Crawling through the dirt in a hard world They'd taken her body and now they wanted her dead But one man saw her soul and so he said Come my way and sin no more I got love and peace with living for I got hope and light and open arms Come my way and you won't be harmed Come Sin no more. You close the window, but I'm opening the door to a greater life than you've ever known, to a greater love than you've ever been shown. Mary Maggie heard his voice and wept for all the hopes and dreams she had and kept. She remembered her sins and let them float away And as they left she still could hear him say Come my way and sin no more I got love and peace with living for I got hope and light and open arms Come my way and you won't be harmed Come my way and sin no more You close the window but I'm opening the door To a greater life than you've ever known To a greater love than you've ever been shown
Never could a greater tragedy be Than the son of man on top of Calvary The pain of love destroyed was in her eyes But that poor sinning woman Was the first to see him rise I won't come my way and sin no more I got love and peace with living for I got hope and light and Kay Clarity with her single, Magdalene and that will bring us to the end of the program this week. Remember that if you missed any part of this program, you can always stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs at our website, slmedia.org slash podcast. And that's also where you can find links to all our artists and guests, so you can go and check them out and support them. You can also get the Salt and Light Hour as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts, so there's no excuses for not listening to the show. I continue to pray for all of you. I hope that you're praying for us. Stay safe. Offer words of hope and comfort. Take care of each other. May you have a blessed end of the Lent season, a blessed Holy Week, and a happy Easter, but I hope to see you before then. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been The Salt and Light Hour. I'm opening the door to a greater life than you've ever known, to a greater love than you've ever been shown. Come my way and sin no more. You close the window, but I'm opening the door to a greater life than you've ever known, to a greater love than you've ever been shown. Whoa, whoa.